Welcome to The Interop. My guest today is Anurag Arjun. He's the co-founder at Avail. They're a data availability layer for modern blockchains. In today's conversation, we will discuss the Avail Genesis story and how it spun out of Polygon. We'll dive into the different components of the modular stack and the emerging ecosystem of teams in the modular space. We'll look at Avail's architecture, what makes it unique. We'll also get into data availability sampling, see how that works, and talking about the economics and tokenomics of the platform. Well, I'm also dying to find out why he thinks app chains are making their way into Ethereum and threatening EVM dominance. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified of new episodes every week. And remember that none of what we discuss on the interop is investment advice. And if you enjoyed this content, please consider sticking with us. We're live on Evmos, Quicksilver, Osmosis, Juno, and Nolus. Just look for interop in the active set. My guest, Anurag, is coming up next, right here on the interop. Hey everyone! Hi Seb. Uh, thanks for having me on the on the podcast, and you know, like really looking forward to this discussion. Quick introduction. Um, um, my name is Anurag. I'm co-founder of Avail. It's uh, Avail is a new kind of layer one blockchain that focuses on providing uh, data availability to rollups on top. Uh, primarily, over the last two three years, what we have seen is this dominance of the rollup execution paradigm, with execution moving from the base layer to uh, the layer on top, uh, and this we've seen primarily on Ethereum. Uh, but um, what what these rollups really require is you know like tons of data availability, and so that's that's kind of the purpose with which we started uh, Avail uh, back in late 2020. Uh, just to give some context um, on uh, the initiation story, I, uh, I co-founded Polygon or Matic. It was uh, back then in 2017. That's actually when I entered the uh, crypto space. Uh, before that, I was a more fintech, regtech kind of a guy. Uh, and uh, uh, so this, after we kind of launched Polygon POS back in 2020, mid 2020, uh, that was when we were kind of looking for what to do next on the Polygon roadmap. And so we had execution uh, on our mind and availability as well, uh, in the sense that uh, Matic really started out as a plasma scaling solution, uh, which was primarily an off-chain execution and off-chain data availability solution. We, of course, yeah. plasma never got implemented, uh, but you know, like we pivoted to POS first, and then we we knew that POS was not going to be a long-lasting solution. So, so that's why we pivoted to zk rollups on the execution side and data availability on the avail side. And so, so that, that's that's where really you know like. Um, um, the uh, avail really came from this need this understanding that rollups are going to be the future and that these rollups will increasingly need and the uh, uh, scalable data availability layer because rollups are very data hungry um, and you really need a base layer that is specifically designed for that uh, in contrast like uh, ethereum really began life as a more execution focused chain and is now re uh, pivoting to data availability um, and so, so that's why really uh, Avail really came through. Um, we have been working on Avail since the last two and a half, three years now. And in March, uh, earlier this year, we kind of spun it out of uh, uh, Polygon and it's now its own separate independent entity with its own team. 
we have actually now grown pretty fast um, like when we spun out we were 20 pe- people strong uh, 18 20 people strong and now we are actually up to 40 uh, most of mostly it's our engineers uh, but we are uh, you know like growing the team uh, as sustainably as possible yeah that's really it's really impressive uh, that uh, that uh, you're able to sort of spin it out and and grow the team to to such a, a large number um like when when you were uh, working on um on avail when you were still at polygon uh before it was spun out like were were there areas where you felt like the polygon vision was falling short and you felt like avail could solve uh some of the issues there or was it just sort of a an ideological split about how to scale blockchains because like you know polygon has now gone this whole like zk uh route for scaling uh and building rollups and and i mean that's a very uh, different approach to the data availability approach so yeah what's the what's the chasm there that like caused the veil to want to like go in a different direction yeah so i um, you know like uh, unfortunately uh, or fortunately like we didn't have much of a you know like a, a rift or a chasm in in that in the literal sense mostly it was primarily because uh, like if you kind of look back um, uh, at polygon's product suite right like it's pretty pretty wide so we we you know at that point in time we have had like a polygon pos but we also had like a polygon hermes zkvm a polygon zero uh, solution uh, polygon maiden solution uh, of course polygon avail then you also have polygon id you know like polygon nightfall so it's just uh, two supernets at some point in time so it was just a very wide product suite and polygon of course is a big player in the uh, in the uh, space in general but like any organization um, that has to handle these many products uh, will not be able to do justice to each product uh, on its uh, you know like stand alone right like so it was becoming difficult to juggle these two kind of narratives within the same organization in the sense that the Uh, more recent zk evm or polygon 2.0 initiative is more ethereum l2 specific right like so so that so polygon is going strong on that brand right like ethereum being an uh, leading ethereum layer 2 player right like i mean zk rollups on ethereum and that was um, not fitting in well with what avail really wants to do from a layer 1 perspective because so the identities are pretty different the product is very different the positioning is very different and so it's very difficult to able to manage this within the same organization and so we thought it was best to kind of uh, spin out uh, and uh, uh, do this separately uh, it also allows us to you know kind of uh, allocate resources accordingly right? like so i would say it was more a um, resource alignment uh, move rather than i would say um, like a rift in the literal sense. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the um, the 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 different types of security layers or DA layers that applications can use. So, you know, there is this data sampling DA uh narrative that I think Celestia has been sort of carrying and Avail definitely falls within that category. Uh then we have like restaking like eigen layer and um I, i think we could also put uh, cosmos interchain security uh in that um in that bucket 
And then we have uh, Ethereum. Now, Ethereum can can do data availability, but it can also do like on-chain on transactions and sort of on-chain contracts. How do you think, how should developers be thinking about the different trade-offs uh, when choosing their data availability and to some extent, you know, consensus layer uh, for their application, right? If you're an application developer, you know, you're like, you're looking at whether you're going to be building on the EVM or Solana VM or Cosmos SDK or, you know, any number of like different execution environments. When it comes to choosing the security layer, like what's the biggest thing that people should be considering? What are the trade-offs that they should be thinking about, et cetera? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a great question in general. Uh, so I'll try to break this down into a um, couple of um, segments in the sense uh, from a developer point of view, right? Like, I mean, there are two, two developers that we can talk about here. So these are, of course, uh, there are application developers out there, but there are also these more, um, you know, like roll-up developers uh, out there or chain developers as we might call them, right? Like, and so, so the choice of data availability Firstly, goes to the chain developer or the roll-up developer. Uh, uh, it you know the application developer comes later uh, in terms of because they have a set of different trade-offs to uh, make. So I just start from the roll-up developer first, and then go to the application developers. For the roll-up developer sure. or for the chain developer, right? Like I mean, if you are spinning up a new new chain, right? Like what do you today? What do you have to do, right? Like uh, so, let's say you're a new um, team or developer who want to spin up a let's say a Cosmos chain, for example, or any sort of chain, right? Like I mean, what are the steps that they they need to do, right? Like they need to, of course, spin up the software using something like let's say Cosmos SDK or like let's say like Get, for example, or even like Polkadot SDK or you know something like that, some framework, uh, and then. In the case of Cosmos or like an independent L1, they need to bootstrap this set of validators, for example, and so on, right? Like they have to do a token. So they, you know, they have to do a community, ensure that the token does well, ensure validators are incentivized and so on, right? Like, so there's this whole cost of creating a chain in itself, right? Like, and that, um, that gets kind of uh, solved in a way uh, by way of, you know, like shared security uh, in terms of the roll-up paradigm. So, now let's say like a base, uh, for example, right, uh, can be spun uh, spun up by Coinbase, for example, pretty rapidly without getting into this whole validator bootstrapping problem, right? Like so if you look at base, they took the OP stack and then just deployed um, it as a rollup uh, on Ethereum, uh, and essentially the the entire work around bootstrapping the validator set and ensuring that the chain inherit security, for example, um, that goes away and uh, chain developers can now really focus on GTM uh, side of activities, right? Like, so the base, so base is what, what base really got from the OP stack and being a roll up is that they didn't have to invent the, or create their own security. They just uh, inherited the security from the base layer. And now they can do stuff like front tech, you know, like basically GTM activities, right? Like, so, so I would say from a chain developer point of view, the roll up shift to rollups is is the main thing and um from that perspective right like um, if you want to do a roll up you have it, it's a question of shared security now what kind what is the level of security that you want to inherit for example uh, and that will depend upon you know like a lot of trade offs between cost uh, um you know the user experience and such for example right like so if you are maybe like um like a stable coin defi sort of uh, application that you know like really needs um 
you know today ethereum security uh, for example you would you know like do a uh, roll up on ethereum for example but as we are seeing with players like um, you know like uh, arbitrum and starkware for example which employ uh, solutions like arbitrum anytrust or starkware validiums for example all of those are you know like choosing uh, data validity layers which are different from ethereum right like so currently those might be dacs but you know like once like solutions like avail and celeste come into production uh, you know like you will increasingly see the uh, uses of these layers so just to quickly summarize right like um, for chain developers this is a very credible alternative to kind of building a sort of independent chain um, again it's a, it's a complex nuance question right like i mean um, do you want to control your cryptographic security or do you want to get into the shared security paradigm right like it's a question uh, and it's all right to you know like be a more sovereign independent kind of uh, chain like the cosmos uh, chains are like so so i was um, you know like asking this question cosmos was actually and you know like uh, uh, let's say let's say a certain cosmos chain has probably let's say 500 million in security for example so does it make sense for them to move into a shared security context uh, if they are maybe securing 200 million of tvl for example so maybe not like in that case but if it is approaching 400 million of tvl or 500 million of tvl so then then may they may want to increase security or share the security from uh, another base layer right like and that might be ethereum it could be bitcoin uh, but you know like entirely something else like avail for example once avail also you know like gets that kind of uh, crypto economic security so it's a complex nuance questions right? um, but you know like those those abstractions will you know like become it will be more abstracted uh, as we go forward right now we are at the very early infrastructure building stage of you know like this separate layers of uh, blockchains and quickly you know like getting to the application developer um, point of view i think for the application developer um, you know things are also changing pretty rapidly with this emergence of you know like zk systems right like, so there are two primary things that we have to keep in mind right like one is you know like you have execution then you have like consensus and ordering uh, uh, layers now uh because we have these uh, newer zk execution environments like validity um, checking is actually becoming very very uh, powerful in the sense that you know like even if you have like a single prover and that can prove a mathematical proof you can prove execution validity now so basically in that context what what really uh, matters then is you know like the ordering or consensus or the fork choice uh, on the base layer and so it's basically what is what is happening is it's it's now becoming much and much easier from a from this perspective to actually come up with arbitrary execution environments right like so it's not only like a uh, evm environment or a you know like an abc environment we are seeing you know like move environments for example um, you know like newer custom environments like uh, let's say poly there's a team called polylang that is building on maiden vm for example that has brought out a new kind of um, experience uh, people are taking the mina vm and you know like doing a, a roll up runtime on top of it for example sovereign labs is doing a new kind of execution environment using uh, risc zero for example so you have this newer kind of execution environments and and i'm seeing a definite um, you know, focus on more application specific uh, 
um, uh, roll up um, execution environments and i think that will become um, much much uh, important in the future right like i mean not everything really want has to be on a shared chain like not everything needs to be on the evm for example and so for application developers as long as once the correct abstractions is in place it will be more of choosing the right tool for the right activity and then because you will have access to other applications using some sort of interoperability and so on right like so essentially it will be at some point in time it will be more like uh, uh, you know like write your program and with with the emergence of zk it will get proven for example and then it's just about consensus and ordering yeah, uh, yeah. so w- what what about um like you, you were talking we said earlier that you you thought that app chains uh were making their way into ethereum and that essentially the, the app chain model uh i mean I, I kind of you know facetiously said threatening but that the app chain model uh was in some some ways for some applications probably be- better than using the vm uh it so it, it feels to me like basically app chains wanted to opt like app chains promised uh execution sovereignty and uh and security sovereignty and like sovereignty over, over governance and things like that but it turns out that the the thing that uh people really want or that the, the thing that is um better for applications is execution sovereignty and that in a da world uh, security sovereignty matters less and governance sovereignty i mean you could still have governance sovereignty with a with an application chain so do, do you think that like the the evm roll-ups um of, of which there are many right where you you deploy uh, smart contracts on an evm do you think that those have long-term viability uh or applications new applications would rather just spin up their own their own vm like their own Cosmos SDK rollup or substrate rollup or whatever rollup so that they have full sovereignty over execution, over governance, perhaps over settlement as well. If there's settlement rollup, do you think that we're heading in that direction uh, rather than just like more shared execution in the form of uh, EVM rollups? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, so there, there are many answers to this, but I'll just maybe try to illustrate this with an example, right? Like, I mean, from an application developer experience point of view, right? Like, so... So when you are building an application for the EVM, um, and you know at my uh, time with Polygon POS, for example, you know I've interacted with like maybe hundreds and thousands of developers, right? Like and like like this, there was this, you know, like let's say uh, someone like like a major uh, enterprise wanted to um, add NFTs to their uh, app um, at that point in time, for example, and so if you kind of try to understand the development methodology that they have to follow, right? Like, so if you want to add a simple thing, like an NFT uh, to uh, existing app, right? Like, I mean, uh, they have to run an uh, EVM indexer, uh, which is not that that easy to set up, right? Like either you uh, write your own indexer or, you know, like uh, take up a subscription from a hosted one, for example, right? Like, and then you have to manually parse your logs because the EVM is a shared state model and you have to, you know, like uh, map your data model to the EVM's data model and then parse the logs, like listen to every blog, parse the blogs, uh, logs, for example, and so on for your own app data. Um, you know, like you have to run things like 
um, you know, like hosted full nodes, like you have to have an Infura Alchemy, for example, uh, subscription. Some of these can be pretty expensive at some point. Uh, some point. Uh, you also have to run transaction relay infrastructure, like let's say Biconomy or something like that, right? Like just to ensure your transaction gets confirmed, for example, or retry or those kind of things, right? Like so, what I'm trying to illustrate is the, uh, it it doesn't um, seem like it, but there's actually a lot of infrastructure overhead that a normal application developer has to go through just to run something as simple as an NFT um, application, right? Like and and that has been the refrain for a lot of application developers uh, that we end up doing all this infra overhead time. And so it's, again, it just takes away bandwidth from the most important part, which is the business logic uh, of the application or the creative part of the application, right? Like, uh, and so, 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 I mean, of course there are other points, but you know, like even just this point, you know, like, of course you get access to, let's say synchronous composability and so on, right? Like, but I would argue that a lot of this thing is possible in a more application or execution sovereignty model with, you know, like interoperability between these uh, environment, right? Like, um, and so I would certainly say the overhead uh, in terms of uh, creating these more app rollups, for example, will actually tend much, much lower over time, right? Like, I mean, today, you know, like doing a Cosmo SDK chain still is a lot of work. Uh, doing an application specific rollup is still you know like very much early but i think in the next 6 to 12 months you will see that you know like you will have frameworks where spinning up an app chain is like you know like a one click thing where all the infra is taken care of and you no longer have these um, you know like these kind of problems right like i mean getting your transaction confirmed or you know like uh, you know like doing a shared rpc or doing this big uh indexing thing uh because you know like so it's all of this become easier in a more execution sovereign kind of uh, you know like uh, uh world right like and so i think i think you put it very rightly right like so there's an execution sovereignty thing there's a security sovereignty thing the security sovereignty thing has proved to be notoriously difficult to bootstrap and maintain uh and so i think the main benefits of that is on the execution sovereignty side and this move towards app rollups specifically uh, tends uh, on the execution sovereignty side. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I think, uh, like for, for like Dimension is one one example, right, of a team that's building this kind of like rollup as a service or en enabling uh, easier roll, like making it easier for rollups to be deployed uh, to to underlying security layers. So, like, I think that's a step in the right direction. And, and I mean, look, it makes sense if you if you compare it to the the uh, you know like app application paradigm in in web two we moved away from like sh shared um shared hosting or like shared execution environments a long time ago and now everything is a everything is a container everything is contained and execution is um is is, is sovereign and from the point of view of the application to the point now where even like functions are are, are now their own execution <laughs> environments right so like uh, things have modularized in that way, and I, I think that the the EVM model uh, doesn't really align with that. Now, the thing, I mean, like the EVM has like tons of developers, uh, tons of um, of network effect, and like people who build on the EVM. I think have, I mean, for for people that I talk to who build on the EVM, uh, I think they they feel like EVM dominance is here to stay, but I, I don't know how that aligns with 
with just you know the sort of like natural progression of how applications are modularizing and how how they did in web 2 and i think like how it's inevitable in, in web 3 so but yeah i, I want to get into the to avail a bit more uh and, and talking about uh the architecture and um the different components of the stack so um yeah what, what are the different components of avail and like different components of the stack and one question that, that came up when i was asking on twitter uh for for question is uh why, why you chose to build on substrate and um yeah what was the the motivation there and then we can get into other things like consensus and the proving system and data sampling and all that yeah yeah well makes sense so quickly i just uh, i'll give you like an overview of the avail architecture and then we'll, i can get to the substrate question uh, specifically so the architecture itself is that you know like actually that we we build or maintain two networks actually uh, so there is this base layer validator uh, run network um, which we call the avail base layer and then there is a separate light client data ability sampling light client network which itself is a network in itself in a because you know like all the participants have a p2p uh, uh, layer in between and then the light client network talks to the avail base layer in 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 that sense right like so so essentially you know like avail is comprised of these two different uh, networks which are connected to each other the base layer itself uh, is uh, built off substrate uh, so we uh, when we were starting out we had this um, a choice to you know like what framework to base our development on and uh, so of course the choices were tendermint and the substrate um, uh, at that point in time right like and we had previously uh, used uh, tendermint at polygon pos uh, while building polygon pos and so we had extensive experience using um, you know like tendermint for uh, there and uh, Substrate was uh, was maybe a couple of years into development at that point in time, uh, and you know, like when we started looking into it in 2020, it was surprisingly, uh, you know, like well done, well engineered, uh, modular uh, in in the in in the you know like in the real sense. In the sense, uh, it's very easy to actually switch off or change uh, some functionality without you know like disturbing the whole code base for example so yeah i think they were rust. very early to the, to like building a very modular modular development stack like even like in 2019 and or even earlier they they were quite early to building like this very um modular stack yeah 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 um it it's also you know like uh, the the you know like our tech stack is primarily rust so it was like great that you know like it was written in Rust, for example, uh, um, and also you know like from a, from what we got out of the box from uh, Substrate was also you know like uh, Grandpa and Babe consensus. Uh, this is like not maybe well known outside of the Polkadot ecosystem, but you know like it's it's like really um, you know like well written in that sense. Uh, Grandpa Babe consensus is like a hybrid ledger. Uh, which you know, Babe does block production and Grandpa is responsible for finality. So it's like a hybrid uh, ledger where uh, you kind of maintain block production via Babe, and then there's this finality gadget on top uh, from Grandpa. And so um, it's possible to you know, like for the chain to keep running, and then finality can be reached later in extreme circumstances. Mostly finality is reached within a couple of blocks, but uh, uh, in general. In terms of network partnering and those kind of uh, you know like edge cases, uh, you can always do a de uh, delayed finality. And 
so it's basically like um i would say in the um, direction of you know like things like gasper on ethereum for example uh, yeah, yeah, in that sense so it's slightly different from let's say tendermint uh, which has this instant finality thing so so different characteristics right like i mean tendermint will halt if if there's a you know like a uh, a problem there in, in in that sense so i mean of course there are pros and cons etc for example then i think we also were uh, we we are able to onboard like um, support about up to 1000 validators with uh, grandpa consensus um, and uh, that was attractive to us because we will be able to support a bigger validator set um, uh, then let's say on on tendermint for example and one of the very underrated things from substrate is this um npos uh, or nominated proof of stake system which essentially you know like so it employs this implementation of uh, something called fragment uh, which ensures that you have stake distribution uh, you know when people nominate or delegate their tokens it doesn't go to a single validator unlike in uh, you know like tendermint or cosmos pos uh, for example right like so uh it it kind of ensures in protocol that the stake is roughly the same across the entire validator set so it ensures that you know like we have good stake distribution mechanics and this was actually a big problem for us while we were building um, polygon pos like, like even today it's a problem and we try to address it with a variety of uh, um, mechanisms not necessarily in protocol but also off protocol but the reality is that on polygon pos uh, and in most cosmos chains also which use tendermint pos uh, eight six or eight of the top validators really control more than 67% of the stake uh, um which is which is a which is a problem that we would rather avoid um uh, so because essentially what we envision is available to be like the base layer for a lot of rollups on top and we want this to be really decentralized and so we started with the foundational tools required to make that happen um essentially so i mean it's a combination of all these reasons uh but yeah that's, that's yeah i mean I that that's interesting let, let, let's talk a little bit more about the consensus i think this is i like i, I don't like to i don't want to like compare avail to celestia so much but i think like one of the main differences, at least, and I think there's two kind of main differences if you kind of like look at both protocols side by side, is one is the proving system uh, where Avail uses validity proofs while Celestia uses fraud proofs. And then the other is the consensus. And then um, I think this is sort of similar to the way Cosmos and Ethereum are, are different in consensus. Ethereum can scale to you know many hundreds or even thousands of developers uh, or, or to, to validators but um, uh, have probabilistic finality. Now that's a trade-off that Ethereum makes because it wants to be fully decentralized, as decentralized as possible with as many validators as possible. And, and Cosmos has this instant finality, but uh, Tendermint consensus does not allow, basically it starts to fail like once you get into the, you know, close to 200 validators or so. And, and I think this is one of the main sort of philosophical differences between Avila and Celestia, where Celestia is built on Tendermint and and has this constraint but instant finality and avail uh, uses this um this probabilistic um uh, con consensus mechanism I i'm curious what uh impact that has on uh the d the data availability uh sampling uh aspect of 
basically what you guys are building does it have any implications at all or or is it only just block production that um is 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 impacted mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, let me take it from two angles, right? Like, so, so one is, of course, the consensus part. The second is of the, like, the other, uh, like, um, let's say the implementation differences between us and Celestia, right? Like, the validity proofs and fraud proof uh, differences, right? Like, so, um, in general, um, uh, if you kind of uh, take a look at the, uh, the validity proof and fraud proof based uh, uh, differences, right? Like, so once you once the block is final on the base layer um the headers are propagated to the light clients for example and then you know like this whole random data sampling uh process uh, flows and essentially um uh that really the das verification really depends on whether on the type of proving system that you have right like so in a validity proof system you can actually verify it instantly uh, on a fraud proof system, you have to wait in like a certain time interval. It might be the minutes or hours, uh, for example. Uh, so, uh, from from a application uh, or a developer experience angle, right? Like, I mean, think of like a zk rollup uh, running on top of um, uh, a whale, uh, and uh, a zk rollup running on Celestia, for example, right? Like, so, so it the the thing is that the for finality you have to wait for two things right like one is the da finality and then the proof let's say uh, the proof generation or the execution proof generation right like now it might happen that the execution proof gen- has been generated but you are still waiting for the da fraud proof uh, to be propagated for example right like and so uh, fi- time to finality in that sense increases um, uh, in uh, uh, let's say this uh, the same construction with the zk roll up on avail right like i mean as because our construction really uses for uh, validity proofs right like it's as as soon as the uh, block is finalized um, and of course we have deterministic finality but in most of the cases uh, uh, finality happens within a couple of blocks um, um, you know like so essentially in the majority of use cases uh, you'll be able to kind of get da finality um, and like in the case of a zk develop like you don't have to wait around for that right like so those are the more philosophical differences and to zoom out a bit on on the other side right like i mean um it's primarily about what is this uh, role of of a datability layer or a base layer as we see it right like so today if you see ethereum is the most dominant data availability player in that sense from a modular perspective of course all blockchains have a datability component even Cos- like cosmos blockchain solana etc have it embedded within their uh, uh, stack. But like from a modular perspective, Ethereum is actually the most dominant data availability provider to rollups on top, right? Like that's the uh, thing today. And if you really want to kind of provide a compelling alternative to Ethereum in that respect, right? Like you also need to be a very decentralized, um, uh, you know, like secure uh, layer right like and so if you want to really get into that um, uh, um, that that kind of positioning like you have to think about these things right like it because it's very easy to get into 
सिचुएशन वेर यू नो लाइक इन 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 स्पेशली यूजिंग टेंडरमेंट दैट यू नो लाइक एट ऑफ द टॉप टेन वेलेटर्स और एट और टेन ऑफ द टॉप वेलेटर्स रियली कंट्रोल सिक्सटी सेवन परसेंट ऑफ द स्टेक राइट लाइक एंड सो फॉर अर बेज लेयर it's it's uh, risky dangerous you know like it's not the best situation situation right like and that's why we consciously took this approach to kind of uh, be closer to the ethereum philosophy uh, rather than the cosmos philosophy right like the cosmos philosophy in in at least in my opinion makes sense in a more application specific chain um uh uh perspective but if you are really trying to provide a more shared security kind of a product then you know like the ethereum philosophy matters more in that sense um see having said that there are of course pros and cons right like ethereum has like this ability to onboard like hundreds and thousands of hundreds of thousands of validators like 100000 or like more maybe right like but the the problem is that you know like there is a limit to communication complexity that a network can uh, manage right like and so now there are discussions within the ethereum community also to increase the 32 eth um, you know like deposit uh, limit uh, for staking to i think to 2048 or something like that so because they want to ensure that because see the reality of what is happening is people want to stake the people who want to stake a lot of eth really end up running redundant validator nodes um, yeah and and so essentially increasing the traffic Uh, on uh, the p2p traffic on the network right like and so the there is a proposal uh, which is in the active discussion to increase the deposit limit to 2048 eth so that it just reduces the validator number and so so i think the answer is somewhere in the middle right like i mean polkadot uh, you know made a lot of good choices um, on some of this right like i mean it's not as low as let's say you know like a 30 or a 100 kind of a figure Uh, although i won't say 100 is is a small figure like it's a decent enough figure but you know like you don't want to be in the hundreds and thousands and then kind of try to scale back the number in that sense right like so we thought 1000 was a good enough number and on top of it if you kind of look at it from a npos kind of a uh, uh like uh, implementation point of view like you know how many unique validators are really running your network right like that is also an important metric Uh, you know like people like to call it the nakamoto coefficient and so on but even that is important right like you can't have the same validators running multi- too many multiple nodes right like so what are the levers that you can employ uh, and so so this is like a broader question right like i mean ethereum is grappling with let's say things like you know like lido like uh, uh, and you know like ethereum restaking and you know like those kind of sort of things right like so uh, so at some point in time we will also you know like get into those kind of questions and we really wanted to start off with the right foundational levers uh, uh, to kind of you know like solve this right like otherwise you know like changing some saying production network in between like changing the things like the consensus is like a very it's a very big move for a network right like um, yeah. and um, so yeah hopefully I was able to answer some of your questions. Yeah, no, that 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 all makes sense, and I I think uh, really clears clears that up. So, but yeah, let, let's talk about the data availability sampling then. Um, maybe you know we we've talked about DA sampling on the podcast before, but uh, maybe let's just unpack that and remind our listeners like what that means and 
how applications use it to in order to uh, prove that their data has been essentially um, uh, added to a block without having to add the entirety of the data. Because that's one of the, the things that um, platforms like Avail are, that's where they're different from like Ethereum, for instance, where like all the transaction data is on chain. Uh, Avail only sorts, uh, uh, stores the, 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 the hashes of the data. Um, so yeah, maybe um, explain DA sampling yeah, yeah. Uh, no. So, so let me just also correct you a bit, right? Like, so uh, in general, avail stores. See, even even I got it wrong. So we need an explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, see, I think just zooming out a little bit from your question to answer this, right? Like, so essentially, you know, like what what really goes on in a blockchain is that you know, like what you really need to know is is the correct order of the transactions. Um, uh, um, and uh, basically the folk choice rule and then you need um, uh, you know like the execution validity so in a in a conventional blockchain network let's say like a cosmos uh, uh, blockchain right like so uh, there might there might be like 100 validators there might be like few hundred uh, nodes full nodes for example and so on right like so what the validators are really doing is you know like they're getting the transactions uh, and they're you know like um, let's say in Cosmos, for example, there's a block builder which will kind of order those transactions into a block, and then each validator will re-execute those transactions, and then uh, the two by three of the validators or two by three plus of the validators will reach an um, understanding that whether on the folk choice rule, right? Like primarily, like which which is the correct or uh, block or the correct order of transactions, um, and then the full nodes will you know like listen to this uh, they will not trust the validators uh, 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 with with the validity execution validity they will download all the transactions uh, the and then re-execute those transactions and then they will arrive at the uh, right state for example right like so that's the rough yeah very rough uh, flow in a conventional network so now if you want to put this in a more modular context right like what do you really uh, want to have right like so in an ethereum context what is happening is you know like there's this roll up on ethereum which execute uh, takes in transactions from users um, and it's called a sequencer uh, today because that's the component which orders those transactions like which defines the order of those transactions so and then they commit to the order of transactions on ethereum right? like they put the whole transaction data or the state diffs data on ethereum so that even if the sequencer now goes down, right? Like anyone can take the state from Ethereum and uh, you know arrive at the uh, correct state because they can just re-execute those transactions. And now, so the different rollups differ in in you know like how you can verify the execution, right? Like so, there are probably three types of these different transactions, right? Like pessimistic, optimistic, zk. And so pessimistic is again, you know, like take the order and re-execute those transactions again. Optimistic it is that some people will uh, look, um, you know, like uh, re-execute those transactions and if there's a problem, then they will raise a fraud proof, for example. And, you know, like a ZK uh, roll-up or validity proof thing is that there's a prover that provides a mathematical proof and you just have to verify the proof, right? Like, so now, like, just to like give the entire picture, right? Like, there is this whole ordering piece and then there is this execution piece. Now, Naively, if you want to look at it, you will download all the transactions um, and um, re-execute all the transactions. That what that's what happens in a conventional blockchain network. 
now the question is how do we make this process more efficient uh, for users or, or you know like just in general stakeholders now in ethereum for example today you will have to download all the transactions to get a full detailability guarantee uh, uh, and this happens in any pos style network right like the main innovation that avail uh, brings to the table is efficient way to do this uh, data availability verification like you don't have to download the entire data the entire data is there on avail uh, for sure right like avail certainly stores all the data in the ordered format now but you don't really need to run a full node to, and download all the data and then verify data availability this data availability sampling thing it employs this clever uh, mathematical trick of erasure coding and KZG polynomial commitments in our case uh, to enable datability sampling where essentially you are kind of so this is like just to simplify this right like erasure coding is this technology that is used in has been historically used in you know things like storage like you know like on a compact disc for example um, if you remember if if your listeners remember compact discs <laughs> yeah is, is that you know like you can you can have a compact disc or a hard disk for example and you know like maybe there are some scratches on the compact disk uh, and but you want to ensure that no data is lost so what ma compact disk manufacturers do is erasure code the data on the compact disk so that it is replicated and in randomly in, in such a way that you know like even if there's a scratch on the compact disk even if one data fragment is lost you are you know like it's very easy to ensure that the uh, a replicated fragment is available somewhere else on the compact disk right like that's erasure coding uh, mm, roughly right like and so essentially what what this allows is for these light clients to verify this data availability very succinctly like within a few samples they are able to kind of verify up to 99.99% uh, probability that the data is available right like and so that's one part of it the other part of it comes from the more execution focused uh, 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 verification, which is like, let's say, let's say ZK proof, ZK rollup, right? Like, essentially, you don't have to re-execute all the transactions, right? Like, you just verify the proof of the transactions. So, what, what I'm trying to arrive at is, is that this unique combination of DAS, which gives us very efficient DA verification and uh, more execute uh, succinct execution verification so the zk rollups are the most easiest to uh, verify but optimistic rollups you know like are not far behind right like i mean in the sense that not everyone wants to do it someone will do it uh, and you optimistically know that the execution is correct right like and then, so again pros and cons uh, in both these uh, but so essentially this is what i'm trying to kind of convey that you know like you have to look at it from an entire angle and that's what really data quality sampling it it kind of um brings the ease of datability verification and when you combine it with execution verification it becomes very very powerful and that's why we always talk about avail more like a like an enabler for these newer kind of uh roll-ups for example of course it will support existing kind of roll-up constructions uh but you know like you can do entirely new kind of roll-ups with this kind of architecture again last point really quickly i just wanted to cover there was because we've been building this data availability sampling uh, technology, right? Like, so uh, what this really are, the, are the, these are these light clients, um, uh, which do, you know, like these random sampling. And we have kind of used something called Kademlia DST um, uh, to implement this uh, on, on, on the light client layer. And essentially, you know, you can like, just to simplify things, um, 
this is you can think of this like a bit torrent kind of a, um, a scheme it's not the same but you know uh, to visualize it's a useful analogy in the sense that you kind of put the data into a whale the transaction data from rollups onto a whale after it's finalized it it slowly gets randomly sampled by the light clients and also fragments of those the data also gets stored on the light clients on the kademlia dst the dst is a distributed hash table and so any new light client that comes into this network doesn't really need to rely on a full node or the validators to get this data it is actually available of um you know like a light of the of a light client that is already uh, you know like uh, uh, sampled some data for example and so by the dint of this what we had to really build was a very comprehensive p2p network um, actually to kind of enable that you know like stuff doesn't get overloaded and you know it's pretty efficient and that um will also serve as the foundational layer for this more execution uh, verifier uh, propagation right like i mean in the sense that you can actually now take the da da very uh, like line which is a verifier for da you can take the execution verifiers which is let's say like a recursive proof verifier and then embed this into wallets for example right like and so the combination of this is extremely powerful again sorry long winded answer but i just wanted to ensure that you know like i cover all the angles yeah no that that uh, that's really interesting and so um like what what are the like if i was reading on your on the on the blog that you guys are like there's this interesting research about increasing the block size so i think mm-hmm. like right now the 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 um, the uh, erasure coding is like 256 rows by 256 columns and there is some particular trade-offs when when you want to increase the block size uh can, can you talk about like what the trade-offs are and um what is that basically dependent on are we depending on like uh better uh, better network connections in order for like blocks to propagate faster is it more so like being able to validate those blocks so, so when validators run the transactions or is it the erasure coding that then takes longer like what are we what are we kind of dealing with in terms of yeah, scaling yeah. here no i think i think uh, uh, that's a good question to ask uh, in that sense so like what changes when we actually see why are we again building a whale as a separate like a, a layer that focuses on one aspect the dataability aspect or the consistency ordering aspect right like i mean why are we focusing on that because when you decouple execution from uh, let's say the data availability or the consensus and ordering layer what now happens uh, is that we don't really have this uh, you know like issue of maintaining state on 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 avail for example right like we don't have to maintain execution state uh, and that really allows us to increase block sizes uh, pretty rapidly um, so uh, the alternate approach to this is like let's say like a more sharding sort of an approach for example but really in this kind of construction we don't really need to shard right like we can just increase the block size and it's very different from increasing block sizes on let's say uh, on execution focused blockchains like we had this whole block size scaling debates and wars on execution focused blockchains right like and it is it is not practical there because you just increase the requirements of you know like let's say full nodes and validator nodes and such in this specialized uh, you know like construction which avail employs right like we 
we can increase block sizes pretty rapidly like we have benchmark sizes of up to 128 mb uh, uh and it can go even beyond right like i mean because we have this very neat construction of eraser coding and polynomial commitment generation um now okay what happens when we actually increase the block uh block size right like in that sense is that um you know like of course the time to commit uh generate the commitments on our blocks so we have these polynomial commitments that we create and we add it to the header uh, so you know like mathematically you can think of this like a m cross n matrix we erase code the matrix to be, make it to m cross n and then we do commitments for the rows for example so so if you increase the size of the block we are really increasing the size of the matrix uh, and so the number of rows increases for example and so the commitments that we have to generate uh, also increase for example uh, and so on right like but essentially like the the polynomial commitment process or, or the modules that we use right like these are not really um you know like so you can't compare this to something like an evm zk evm prover for example you just this is very simple uh, circuits that kind of generate the um, polynomial commitment right like and these are pretty we have been you know kind of working on iterations and these have become more performant over time right like so so for example for a 2 mb block these commitment uh, is, are generated within milliseconds uh, for 128 block uh, mb blocks these will take a couple of seconds uh, for example but our because we are this you know kind of base layer we don't really uh, handle execution we don't really need to have like extra fast block times right like uh, because the extra fast block times are on the execution side on the roll up side on the sequencer side so that's why we have the uh, capacity to actually increase the block size even without increasing you know like be keeping within the constraints of the block time that we have set for ourselves right like um, so so those are some of the trade offs that we have to make um, in general because we stick to this validity proof approach uh and we generate these commitments within within like very uh, quickly uh we can propagate this um, you know like proofs can be generated uh, for these commitments uh, pretty rapidly and then you know like they can be verified pretty quickly uh so that's the beauty of having this different uh, sort of data availability focused layer uh, so to speak i may be missing some of your questions uh, but hopefully i've answered some of them but just feel free to remind me of yeah no that, that 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 covers it um so i want to get into the the economics of avail a little bit so like w for for an application you know when, when thinking about the monolithic stack when you're building an app on ethereum like your cost structure is is pretty easy to to sort of reason about right you have to pay ethereum for block space um or even users of your application pay Ethereum for block space unless you're subsidizing that somehow. In in the modular stack, um, you know, depending on the say the rollup as a service that you're using, maybe you don't have full sovereignty over the um, the the sequencer as a settlement layer, uh, and certainly the DA layer. You're sort of like choosing an underlying stack based on your kind of execution layer provider. Um, you know, how, how do developers have to reason about this and how will, because essentially like, I think the competition will be on, on price. It, it like competition will come down to like all of the layers of the stack constructed together in like, 
um, in in um, uh, in in a stack, right? So you're, you know, if you're building an application that is on a rollup as a service provider, and that service provider is using Celestia or Ethereum or or Avail, you're you're sort of beholden to that whole stack and and their cost structure in order to figure out what the cost of your application will be. Is that the right way to think about it? And uh, and then what do you anticipate the cost of running an application will be versus compared to you know, monolithic L1s today? Do you think that the modular stack will reduce the cost of running applications uh, overall? Yeah, no, I think again, good uh, good questions to ask, right? Like, so I think uh, you're certainly right, like that cost will be a factor, at least I would anticipate in the initial uh, short to medium term is, is what we anticipate, right? Like that's how we are looking at it uh, from that point of view. Uh, certainly cost will be the driving factor initially. Um, we expect that this will be augmented with, you know, like uh, us enabling newer sort of roll-up constructions, for example, uh, where, you know, like you have, uh, uh, you know, settlement happening client side, for example, and like a host of newer sort of, um, roll-up constructions that can happen, right? Like more like, let's say sovereign roll-ups and such, right? Like, but we'll not get there uh, at the moment, right? Like. Essentially, initially, you know, like I think, you know, like we, I kind of like to use this analogy of, you know, like cars and wheels uh, for now that, you know, like, uh, like roll-ups are really like the cars, um, car manufacturers, and we are like the wheel manufacturers, right? We are like the OEMs on the, uh, on, on the cars, right? Like, and so essentially our GTM primarily is for, you know, like to, 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 you know, like um, partner with, let's say cars to ensure that, you know, like you know, their cars go out with our wheels, for example, right? Like, and so essentially um, um, the cost structure also kind of, you know, like reflects that in, in that sense, right? Like, so, um, so in general, of course, the sum of the costs of each layer will be exposed to the application developer. Uh, today, because there is, um, you know, like, uh, let's say less DA capacity on, let's say something like Ethereum, costs are pretty high, uh, Ethereum, Price itself plays a big role uh, uh, also. Uh, so in general, we did some modeling uh, on the cost structures and like over the last few months, the average price of um, uh, DA on Ethereum is about $13 per MB, uh, $1,300 per MB uh, of data. Uh, this is based on actual- $1,300 per megabyte? Yes, $1,300 per oh. megabyte, roughly. Uh, of course, there's, you know, spikes in ETH price and usage and such, uh, whatever, whatever is paid, but the rough price is around $1,300 per MB uh, of data, right? Like, I mean, um, essentially, the trick for us is to, because we have this whole increasing data, like scaling data capability because of, you know, like our construction, we are able to kind of, you know, like, of course, uh, bring costs down because we have more DA capacity, right? Like that is certainly. And, uh, um, but we also have to ensure that we are sustainable. Our validators have to be uh, profitable, for example. We need to have a wide enough validator set, for example. So we have to be, essentially, we, we will be more costly than, let's say, like a data availability committee, for example, which is like, you know, like run by five or six, seven data members, right? Like, so... Initially, there is, there is this whole cost game that, that will come into picture, which will, you know, like kind of uh, play into the actual application developer uh, uh, cost, right? Like, so 
So you can see right now, let's say, let's say like an Arbitrum runs on one chain. It also runs on Nova chain, uh, for example. Uh, Starkware uh, is planning a volition mode where it'll, you know, you can run in roll-up mode or in Validium mode, right? Like uh, all of these, uh, the Nova solution and the Validium solution right now employ a DAC, for example, right? Like so, so the cars or the L2s, for example, have really literally already made the choice to, uh, you know, like kind of use layers other than Ethereum uh, for some of their offerings, right? Like, um, and so essentially uh, what what we think is, you know, of course, we'll be um, uh, from a cost perspective, competitive, uh, very, very competitive against, let's say, like a, uh, uh, Ethereum, but like m maybe more than a DAC. For example, in that sense, uh, because we offer different characteristics of decentralization and security and such. Uh, for example, um, if you want to compare it to, like, say, like monolithic L1 chains, right? Like, so what really differentiates is—is is it just in general the sheer variety of execution environments that are really going to come in the next six to twelve months, right? Like, I mean, because with this, we are able to kind of support a variety of execution environments. Uh, which you know, like uh, bring a different sort of trade-offs for application developers. Uh, so, so it's a combination of this, right? Like the costs we will have to, of course, play as per the market. Uh, how the market goes, we have to ensure our validators uh, are profitable, uh, and then we have to ensure that you know, like kind of the application developers get a good deal. So it's it's somewhere in you know, like that takes care of all this. Um, hopefully, that answers your question. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that, and I hadn't heard that figure of thirteen hundred dollars per megabyte. It seems like so incredibly high. I mean, if you, I know, I know, this doesn't really compare. But if you compare it to something like Arweave, I think the cost per gigabyte is like less than a hundred dollars or something, right? It's like fifty dollars a gigabyte for what the, you know about you know eternity apparently. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like. Yeah, I mean, see, seems, basically, seems of high. course, that uh, same metric, like the data, data is very different. Like, let's say, like, in what an RV and a Filecoin daily store, right? Like, I mean, so here the product being sold is, you know, like ordering consensus and ordering, like, data availability is really not data storage in that sense, right? Like, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's basically a, you know, like, uh, uh, which uh, which is the correct ordered set of transactions, uh, and so. So technically, it is very different from you know like a RV or a Filecoin, and this is the only reason why uh, um, you know like uh, so Ethereum is the only, uh, I mean not not the only player, but uh, because each L1 maintains its own data availability, and so there's a cost to that as well. For example, uh, but it's the only player that has you know like where rollups are there right now, and it is providing DA separately. Uh, at cost, like at some cost yeah. to, uh, you know, like customers on top, right? Like, and so that's the reference that we have. And uh, and thirteen hundred dollars is right now where ETH is, um, you know, like at not that uh, higher price for now, right? Like, I mean, uh, uh, it it certainly goes higher, um, you know, like la if you get to data from last year, for example, or uh, yeah. the year before, right? Like, so. So essentially, uh, certainly, um, uh, that's see that that's the main reason, right? Like, I mean, see, there is a price for for this product, uh, you know, like, and the current 
um so i see i don't really want to directly uh, compare these solutions but what i'm trying to say is that the that ethereum certainly charges a very high fee at the moment with its upgrades it will come lower but there is still a wide uh, range uh, of cost that you can actually maintain and still be profitable right like and so so there's enough space for you know like avail for example and even celestia for example to uh, come in and you know like operate at um, you know like in this market and right now very frankly there are not too many players uh, in the market uh, yeah yeah cool well i um i'd love to ask you more questions like i've got so many more questions here but i know we're running a little long here but i i want to ask you like one final um question about basically what's the state of avail currently i know you guys have a test net uh what's the roadmap and some like major milestones that people should expect and um yeah maybe ending on like what are the biggest challenges that the project still faces before uh, mainnet yeah yeah so essentially uh, i would say um so we have slightly um in a different uh, uh, we are different kind of company in the sense that you know like we were we were started initiated within polygon and so we have been actually been in development for close to like two and a half three years now and so we are actually very near mainnet uh, uh, so uh, in the sense that our second testnet is you know like now concluding our final incentivized testnet is um, starting in the end of october or first week of november um it will probably run for a couple of months i think it's christmas season so things will be slow over the holidays but i think january is when we'll conclude that and our final audits are finishing uh, pretty pretty soon uh, by the end of the year and hopefully you know like uh, we are pretty much code com- code complete right like from a mainnet uh, release point of view so we are just waiting for things like incentive assessment first issues to occur uh, to be to come up there for example or from the final audits for example but otherwise you know like we are we are very we we kind of are ready for like a q1 2024 um, mainnet uh, launch um, uh, so from a development stage you know like we are actually very near production um, our uh, bridge from avail to ethereum is also uh, expected to finish by December, for example. We already have an optimistic bridge. Uh, we are working on a ZK bridge with the Sassin Labs folks uh, on that. Um, and that is also like a major innovation there. Um, in general, we've been busy building integrations to major roller providers. Uh, we, we are going to introduce, um, you know, at least three major um, uh ethereum l2 roll-up stack kind of uh, integrations pretty soon uh, others will hopefully follow pretty soon so you know like i mean it's now we are very much getting you know, nearer to uh like a lot of roll-ups running on top of you know like testnet initially then hope on mainnet as well we've you know like someone like a dimension like we dimension works uh, pretty closely with us uh, they're running an incentivized testnet and if you kind of look at their portal there are literally hundreds of rollups running on the, uh, you know, the avail testnet, uh, even uh, like as we speak, for example. And uh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and uh, so so I mean I think um, we are pretty close to mainnet. Um, so so yeah, so we will be announcing some of this stuff pretty soon. Um, in terms of uh, 
like problems you know like um i think uh from our i think from a technical angle uh, a solution if i if i will you know like if i might say I might say like avail is one of the one of the best stacks uh, out there in terms of you know like the architecture the implementation for example uh, but uh, in general from a, from a marketing angle i will re- really uh, readily uh, admit that you know like we are behind the curve in terms of let's say uh, celestia for example which has done a great job of you know like kind of creating this whole data availability or modular category and so we are kind of you know like in that follower uh, positioning at the moment right like uh, and i will readily uh, admit to that so that is i think the main problem uh, with avail at the moment right like uh, uh, because i would say a validity proof based approach uh, uh, to solving da is is the uh, is the better approach i would say uh, because you know like even if you look at ethereum they are really following the same sort of approach uh, they want to do it uh, uh, and so we are re- really leading uh, in implementation from that sense uh, but yeah if you ask me one big problem that we have this is that i would say that is the problem and of course we are looking to kind of uh, solve it and hopefully you know like uh, we'll get to that point but yeah i mean um, uh, we'll take it one by one we just want to kind of get to minute uh, stone and then you know like slowly we will uh, solve those problems as well yeah well uh, maybe uh, what you lack in marketing uh, you make up in, uh, in branding and and like t- technical writing uh, you know the the avail blog is like really really good and there's really excellent articles there i'll i'll link to it in the show notes and I'll, i'd encourage anybody to uh, uh, to that's interested in avail to go check that out read um, some of the articles you have there and um, yeah this has been really fascinating I've learned a lot about uh, avail and da and really looking forward to seeing uh, avail go to mainnet and um, and yeah compete compete in the space because there's there's all sorts of interesting uh, projects building in this space and I think the the modular stack is is definitely not like codified, you know, it's, it's still very much in flux. Uh, and, uh, and I, I expect that to, to happen in the next maybe th- three to five years, right. Where we get a much better idea of like what the stack is looking like. And we didn't even talk about interoperability, which I think is a big component here, but we'll have to save that for another, another time. Anurag, thank you so much for making the time today and coming on the podcast and sharing all these great insights with us. Yep, yep. Yeah, thanks uh, for inviting me and, you know, like, it was a great discussion.